Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. At the start of this year, 2021, I discovered a wonderful piece of tree history that has now contributed to over half a dozen episodes. I am, of course, talking about the Celtic Oum tree calendar. The old Celtic tradition was to name their months after trees and other plants that had significance to their faith. Their religious beliefs were closely tied to the natural world, and so they saw a myriad of living things holding deep symbolism. Unfortunately, I did not discover this bit of lore until the second month of the Oum calendar, and so I started with the Rowan. But now we've come full circle, and it's finally time for me to revisit the British Isles to cover the first month, named after the birch tree. The birch moon, called Beh, lasts from December 24th to January 20th, and likely serves as the start of the calendar since it begins right after the winter solstice. The days are starting to grow longer again, and despite spring still being a ways off, the extended daylight gives us the feeling that things are getting better. The new year often gives us an excuse to start a new phase in our lives. Whether you're giving the whole healthy eating and exercising thing another shot, or you're starting a new hobby, or you're changing up your look or style. The birch tree in the Celtic tradition is a perfect standard for the new year, as it symbolizes regeneration and new beginnings. I've had a lot of time to think about the birch, both from knowing that I would be covering it when the calendar once again made it relevant, and because it's an incredibly popular tree. I don't think there's any other tree that has been requested by as many different listeners, and I'm sorry I made y'all wait so long. I wasn't sure how much I wanted to cover in a single episode, but ultimately decided I would cover the entire birch group as a whole both the European silver birch and all the prominent North American birches, as well as a couple other neat species from other parts of the world. Within the birch genus, which we call Betula, there are between 60 and 70 confirmed individual species. Quick little etymology tangent, the genus name Betula comes from a Gaulish or early Western European word that Pliny the Elder has said references the sap that is pulled from the tree for a variety of uses. More on that sap later. The modern English word birch comes from a Proto-Indo-European word that references its shiny white bark, a popular feature of this tree. Tangent on my tangent, but there are of course a number of other ways this tree is referred to in other languages. My favorite of these is the Icelandic word Björk, like the singer-songwriter. Her name is Birch. Now, back to the birch tree group. We find these trees in the birch family, Betulaceae. We've talked about this family a few times with alders and hazels, two other oum trees. It's also home to hornbeams, also called musclewood trees. If you're at all curious, the American hornbeam, Carpinus caroliniana, is my actual favorite tree. And you may wonder, why haven't you made an episode about it? I've done a little bit of digging, and it, it really doesn't seem like they have a whole lot of cultural importance, or at least enough to fill even a short episode. But I don't care about any of that. I just think their wood is really neat. I keep getting distracted. Let's get back to the birch. Within this genus, you'll find both trees and shrubs, but you're probably picturing them as trees, so we'll talk about some of the most iconic birch tree species. 
The first one that comes to my mind is the paper birch, Betula paperifera, also known as the American white birch or the canoe birch. These trees are notable for that white bark, which can peel off in big sheets. They typically grow to be around 70 feet or 21 meters tall, and in extreme cases as tall as 130 feet or 40 meters. These trees are found all across Canada and Alaska, with the southern extent of its range dipping into New England, the upper Midwest, and the northern Rockies of the U.S. Around the world, you'll find a couple species that share similar characteristics to the paper birch, including the Himalayan birch and the Japanese white birch. I'll stick with North America for a bit longer since I'm more intimately familiar with those species, and there's a few that have some really unique features. The yellow birch, Betula alleganiensis, is one whose name vastly undersells the beauty of this tree. The bark of the yellow birch peels off more in shreds than in sheets, but rather than being a yellow color, I would more likely describe them as gold. Seriously, this bark is weirdly shiny. You'll find yellow birches around the Great Lakes, both on the US and the Canada side, as well as from New England down southward along the Appalachian Mountains. Next up is the black birch, Betula lenta, also known as the cherry birch or sweet birch. The tree's bark is a lot darker and actually resembles cherry tree bark, which is where we get those first two common names. The latter name comes from the wintergreen flavor that you would get from chewing on a twig of this birch tree, thanks to an oil whose uses we'll discuss in the second half. The black birch can be found from southern New England down the Appalachian Mountains. You can tell we're getting into less and less common trees, since the ranges are just getting smaller and smaller. Just a couple more. There is the gray birch, Betula populifolia, native to just New England and eastern Canada, whose bark is actually smooth and doesn't peel. This one doesn't get as much attention, but I like trees with smooth bark, so I'm personally fond of this one. And last up in North America, I'll mention the river birch, Betula nigra. The river birch has this fun salmon color to its bark, and is widely found across the eastern U.S., even as far south as the Gulf states, and as far west as Oklahoma and Texas. I wanted to make sure and include this one because it's my friend Allie's favorite birch tree, and we had a whole argument about the topic of best birches while hanging out in Duluth. Finally leaving North America, I'll move on to Europe, which kind of just has one iconic species, the silver birch, Betula pendula. This tree is actually incredibly widespread. Its range extends from the British Isles all the way east to the other side of Russia. And from there, it extends south into East Asia, Asia Minor, and the Mediterranean coast of North Africa. This species actually looks quite similar to paper birch, but with a slight silvery sheen to the white bark, which is why it may also be known as the European white birch or the East Asian white birch which just tickles me that it has two different continental names. Some guy in Austria could be like, what tree is this here? And his wife could correctly state, oh, it's an East Asian birch tree. Did someone plant it here? No, no, it's native to Austria. Before we move on, I want to give a quick honorable mention to those shrubby birch species. In the far northern swamps and heathlands where trees are less common, some low woody plants may still persist. Those are likely also birches. But now let's talk about the general morphology of the birch group. Almost every species I named gets its name from the variably iconic bark. Many of the species are bone white, which itself is a notable trait, 
but is also characterized by these dark scars that we call lenticels. Lenticels, meaning little lens, are adaptations that allow the living cells in plants to breathe, like the stomata on leaves where most transpiration occurs. And while they manifest on birch bark one way, lenticels can appear in a number of ways. We also see them as light dots on young cherry bark and also as the eyes on potatoes, among many other forms. And while scientific explanation is all fun and good, I also love when there's a traditional story to address things like this. This specific story comes from the Ojibwe people, who hail from the lands around Lake Superior and stars a recurring demigod character that I first mentioned back in the Sugar Maple episode, named Manabushu. He and his story show up across a number of Native American tribes, and his name, and how the story is told, will change depending on who you talk to. So, I'm just picking one. A long time ago, Manabushu was spending time with his grandma in the dead of winter. Grandma was very cold, and she wanted some heat to warm up and cook their food, so she told her grandson to go find the Thunderbird and steal his fire. Manabushu went off into the night, shape-shifting himself into a rabbit. When Manabushu Rabbit found the Thunderbird's cave, he appealed to the Great One's empathy. Please let me come in and share your warmth. I'm just a little rabbit, and it's oh so cold out here. The Thunderbird said, Okay. Manabushu Rabbit crept in and hung out for a few minutes, but when the Thunderbird turned around, he jumped on the fire, lighting himself ablaze, and ran off into the night with his prize on his back. Thunderbird chased after the rabbit, enraged and hurling lightning bolts at the thief. Manabushu cried for help, and a birch tree offered its protection. So he hid behind the tree, and every lightning strike aimed at the rabbit instead hit the birch, leaving black scars. Eventually, the Thunderbird got tired and went home, and Manabushu was able to go home himself and deliver the fire to his dear sweet granny for warmth and cooking. And that is how the birch tree got its black scars, and also earned its protection symbolism. And you know there's always gotta be some protection symbolism when it comes to trees. Now you may be thinking about that white bark and those dark lenticel scars, and be reminded of another tree. The aspen. Many of you may be wondering, how do I tell the difference between the two? There are a number of differences. The leaves are different, and the birch bark peels, a phenomenon called exfoliation, while the aspens does not. There's differences in their crown shape as well, but what if you're looking at these trees in winter, or from the distance of your car on the road, or on a TV show or movie? Especially because there is a considerable amount of overlap in their ranges both in Canada and northeastern United States. For instance, I am a big fan of the Charlie Brown cartoons, and in A Charlie Brown Christmas, we see these white trees with black scars on them. In case you did not know, the Peanuts gang canonically lives in Minnesota, around the Minneapolis area. Aspens and birches both grow there, so it could be either. But I watched it with close scrutiny the other day, and I think most of them are birches. Though there could be both. And yes, I know it's a cartoon, and art doesn't necessarily correctly and easily mimic biology, but I have to try. I think the crown shape was mostly what I was looking at, and it felt more birch to me. I usually see aspens as having more of a lollipop shape with a straight skinny trunk and an overly circular canopy shape, while birches 
look a little more random and curvy. But that could also just all be in my head. The tourism site for the Black Hills region of South Dakota says that aspen lenticels may appear as horizontal scars or they could be eye-shaped, while birch scars are only horizontal. But I don't buy that. In fact, that same article, which is in my sources on my website, has a picture of what are clearly birches, and their scars look like eyes to me. I'm sure none of this helped you, but if you can get an up-close look to see the details, then there are some key distinguishing features. From afar, the trees simply are what they are because of the way it is. If it is a time of year when the birch has leaves, you'll see them shaped like either an arrowhead or maybe a wide feather. The edges of the leaf are heavily sawtoothed or serrated, which helps lend to the feathery appearance. Contrast this to the aspen leaves, which are generally circular with rounded bumps on the edges. The flowers and fruits of the birch are both different kinds of catkins. Those would be the dangly things that look like caterpillars. One final biological adaptation of note is that birches are what are known as a pioneer species. This means that they favor recently disturbed land, areas that have just seen fire or some other kind of tree mortality. Birches take advantage of these newly opened spaces and germinated seeds will quickly sprout and grow up fast there. It is actually this practice of regeneration that has led it to that New Year's symbolism of growth and new beginnings. With every tree that finds itself on the OM calendar, I like to start it off with its symbolism in Celtic lore. As I've mentioned a few times now, the birch's significant symbolism is that of regrowth and new beginnings. It's why we find the first month of the new year being named for it. And it's also a wonderful example of how symbolism was clearly drawn from observable biological occurrences. Just like how the oak consistently symbolizes strength because of its hardy wood or how the alder symbolizes a door between two worlds because it grows both on land and in water. The birch symbolizes regeneration because of its adaptations as a pioneer species. It's nice when you can easily make those connections, unlike how the hazel somehow represents wisdom, or how the laurel represents victory. I just don't get those. Another strong symbol the Celts placed on birch was that of femininity. The birch is light-colored. It is graceful in shape with its slender, pendulous boughs. It is connected with water due to its frequently growing along streams, and water's fluidity connects it with femininity. And birches are often found growing in groves, which give it a sort of family symbolism. And women in these cultures are often seen as the heads or organizers of family structure. One thing after another has led the birch to be a bastion of the traditional concept of womanhood. And it is all these things that contribute to the popular nickname for the birch, the White Lady of the Forest. Of course, there are many physical aspects of the birch that lend to its myriad symbolism, but certain things earn the importance of symbolism in the first place by being useful. And the birch is a tree that is known for its many uses. The Himalayan birch, for example, has the Latin name Betula utilis, utilis meaning utility. Early peoples in the Indus region used the peely, paper-like bark of these trees as writing surfaces that predate the modern concept of paper. 
and in North America, the bark of the paper birch species was used to make baskets and other containers, canoes, shelters, and a number of other things. I mentioned earlier how black birch tastes minty or sweet if you chew on a twig. Both it and yellow birch contain an oil known as methyl salicylate, or wintergreen oil. It can be extracted to use as a flavoring agent, but also has been used as a natural remedy for inflammation, pain, and fevers. The chemical composition of this oil is similar to that of aspirin, which is naturally found in willow trees. The utility of the birch is expanded upon in the Finnish epic known as the Kalevala. This is a compilation of folk stories that come from Finland and the Karelia region on the border of Russia that have been traditionally passed down in the form of song. It was actually the writing down and presentation of these songs that helped argue for Finland's cultural identity and status as an independent nation in the early 20th century. In one such song, the folk hero demigod known as Vainamoinen comes across a birch tree who is crying. The birch explains that it's upset about how it can't live in peace because it will inevitably be chopped apart and made into so many things. Vainamoinen reassures it that at least it won't be made into weapons of war, one thing that birchwood was not commonly used for. And the birch agrees, but goes on to list the ways that it will be used, like how the bark is stripped to be made into a drinking cone, or a sheath, or a basket, or how the twigs will be ripped off to be used as switches for people to swat at their back in the sauna, or sauna, as the Finns pronounce it, or how knives will slice them open to collect the sap that pours out. At this, Vainamoinen says, but you also have the potential to be turned into something beautiful. If you are going to be cut down and turned into something else, wouldn't it be nice to be made into a beautiful thing? To prove his point, the demigod goes ahead and cuts down this sad, fatalistic tree and starts carving the wood into a traditional Finnish stringed instrument known as a kantale. For the tuning pegs, he used acorns from an oak, and for the strings, he used strands of hair from a beautiful maiden. When Vainamoinen played this instrument, it was said to make the most beautiful sound. Within the folklore of these peoples, magic is real and can be utilized through song and music. For example, the wizards are referred to as singers. It was also said that the music of this birch cantale produced incredibly powerful magic. I was unable to find some royalty-free cantale audio to show you guys, but I encourage you to check this instrument out. I'm going to go ahead and leave some links on my website and social medias where you can find it. One of the uses for birch that I talked about in that story was of its sap, and this was historically an incredibly important product across Europe. In my episodes about maples, we learned how maple sap being turned into syrup led to huge symbolism in North America, but not so much in Europe for some reason. Maples are still tapped in this part of the world, but in most circumstances, birch reigns supreme. Most folks associate maple stuff with fall, on account of the vibrant leaves defining the autumn season. But for those who are close to the production level of maple syrup, the true maple season is when it is tapped in late winter. The same goes for the birch, though its tapping season is going to be a little closer to spring. Depending on how far north or south you are, that's likely going to be March or April. Though what's interesting is that the various European versions of those months' names are what they are to reflect it as birch tapping season. In the Czech Republic, March translates as Brezin, or birch month. Ukraine's name for March is very similar. In Belarus, March is Sakovic, which means sap month. In Latvia, April is referred to as Sulu Menesis, which translates to birch sap month. My favorite is Finland's. 
In Finnish, the month of April is called Maluku, which translates to juice month. It's the time of year where trees give us their lovely sweet juice. I hate myself for saying that. I want you to know that. And as crazy as that sounds, that translation makes sense considering it's not uncommon for folks to just drink the sap straight from the tree. Most times the birch sap was the first plant product that could be harvested in the new year, and that made it special produce. But most people would more likely collect it and ferment it for a few months into a beverage that is finished in the summer and is thus a refreshing treat associated with the warmer months. This is the origin of birch beer, but that is a drink you may or may not have heard of. You've likely heard of root beer though, and that drink came to be when molasses syrup was used in place of birch sap and parts of the sassafras plant, specifically the roots, were added as flavoring. Historically, birch beer seemed like the national alcoholic drink of several northern and eastern European countries, like sake in Japan, or wine in France, or regular beer in Germany. Everyone loved it, most people made it themselves, and it was used for a variety of things. Birch sap wasn't just a tasty treat, it was often peddled as an all-cure elixir with most peculiar properties. It was said that women in some cultures would rub it on their faces to keep their skin pale and to get rid of their freckles. They would also rub it in their hair because it was thought that it would make your hair grow longer, faster. Every country in that region seems to have their own unique connection to the stuff. In Norway, there's a story about the 12th century King Sver who, along with his men, became lost in the wilderness for a few days and survived by consuming exclusively birch sap. In Ukraine, the people are crazy about birch beer, but in the last 40 years have switched to almost exclusively local craft production. And that is because the large-scale commercial production of birch beer has historically taken place in the birch forests of the Chernobyl region. And since the Chernobyl disaster of 1986, Ukrainians have feared that sap coming from those forests would be radioactive. Estonia is another country where you'll see heavy birch sap production, but only on the mainland. There are several islands in the Baltic Sea belonging to this country, but the culture there believes maple sap to be superior. This ultimately just comes down to taste. Maple sap is noticeably sweeter than birch sap, and I'm not sure I've ever talked to a European who loves sweet foods as much as your average American, who is more likely to prefer maple sap. Birch sap does require more energy to collect than maple sap, but folks like what they like, and in northern and eastern Europe, they like it a lot. Estonia's financial data from the 1970s shows that profit gained from birch sap was six times that of timber. You might have expected their country's extensive woodlands to heavily contribute to their economy, but you might not have been able to guess why. Now that I've talked up birch beer to a place of such high esteem, I'm going to go ahead and try some for myself. I don't know if I've ever actually had birch beer before, so I can at least pretend this is a novel experience for me. I couldn't find it in any of my usual local grocery stores, but I found this bottle at Whole Foods. It's called Boulder Birch Beer, and it comes from the Rocky Mountain Soda Company in Colorado. The stuff in America is more likely to be a soda rather than a beer. So if you'd like to try some, look for those craft companies. Let's give it a shot. It definitely tastes similar to root beer, but it's just... It's just slightly different. 
there's supposed to be a wintergreeny, like a minty sort of flavor because of how, because of like the wintergreen oil. This is specifically made from black birch. So it will have a little bit of that methyl salicylate in it. And I didn't get it on the forefront of the taste, but when I breathe after I drink it, my breath feels minty. Yeah, it tastes like a little bit of a minty root beer with a, a really noticeable natural sweetness. It's really tasty. I got two bottles because I actually found a Pennsylvania Dutch recipe for barbecue sauce that uses an entire bottle of birch beer. So I'm going to make that later and have a lot of fun. Moving on, this whole time I've been focusing on North America and Europe, but you'll see the same importance given to the tree in East Asia as well. After all, the European white birch and the East Asian white birch are two names for the same tree. But there are some differences. The land the tree grows on affects the tree itself. In China, the birch symbolizes elegance, but also strength and confidence. The bark is also used for a number of purposes, and the sap is harvested to be turned into a beverage. But it's not quite the same. In fact, when Chinese companies started this process in imitation of places like Russia, they realized that copying the recipes did not yield the same results. They may be the same species, but grow them thousands of miles apart, and you will get different trees. In the Hokkaido region of Japan, you'll find that the birch symbolizes a connection to the past. The reverence for nature that is common to Japan thanks to Shinto beliefs dates back to the indigenous peoples of this archipelago, known as the Ainu. Prior to a surge in urban development, Hokkaido was home to extensive white birch forests, and thus, the native Ainu of this region had a strong connection to these trees. One way modern residents celebrate the past connection to these specific woodlands is with a traditional dessert that is sometimes called sanporoku. These are spongy cakes that are shaped like birch logs. And apparently, they're delicious, so put that on my list of international tree things Thomas needs to go visit. There aren't many trees I get to talk about that have such extensive importance throughout the entire Northern Hemisphere. There's a reason that so many of my friends consider the birch their favorite tree, and why it is so highly regarded in so many cultures. The birch bark canoes helped Native Americans traverse great distances. The ancient people of India advanced in their culture because they had such an accessible writing surface as birch. The Japanese connect with their indigenous past through delicious birch-shaped cakes. And the sap of the trees is like juice to Eastern Europeans, and a symbol of national identity. For goodness sake, there is a journal at Columbia University dedicated to Slavic, Eastern European, and Eurasian culture that is called the birch. And of course, in Celtic tradition, the birch is a symbol of new beginnings. This episode releases a few days before the new year, and whether you listen to this at the end of 2021, or the start of 2022, or at any time, know that you are always worthy of a fresh start. I know it's cliche to say, new year, new me, but thanks to the birch, that concept has been around for thousands of years. And speaking of new years, my next episode is going to coincide with the Jewish holiday Tubishvat also known as Tree New Year. I originally discussed this holiday in the Seven Species of Israel in episode 10 with the pomegranate, but now it's become a yearly tradition for me. So on January 11th, I'll be revisiting another one of the most important trees to Jewish faith, and quite frankly the whole world, when I talk about olive trees and the history of olive oil.
I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their awesome stuff at academygarden.bandcamp.com. My cover art is by at Boomerang Brit on Instagram. My script editor and social media manager is the wonderful Lori Hilburn. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite Trees or on Instagram at Tree Podcast. If you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. <laughs>